For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Okay, we're here. I'll show you. Dude, this is a national ballpark museum. They've got displays about all the great old ballparks, not old ball players. And I do mean old. Hey, that's not what I heard. I heard they got a display that features the first homegrown color Rocky. That would be me. Okay, look, there's Bruce Hellerstein over there. He owns the place. Let's go ask him. Hey, that's fine with me. Hi, Bruce. How's it going? Manny, Mark, good to see you guys. Come on in. Hey, Bruce, Manny here doesn't believe me. He doesn't believe you've got a Mark Knudsen display here at your museum. Well, he's sort of right. Right over here, we've got a display all about the Denver Zephyrs. I'm pretty sure Mark's Zephyrs baseball card is in there somewhere. Oh, his minor league card. I got you. Hey, it's something, right? If you say so. So, you two just come down here to see the displays? Actually, we're getting ready to do our podcast. Oh, wow. That's great. I had no idea they let you back on the air, Mark. What's your show called? It's the Park Adjusted Rockies Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Mark Knudsen and Manny Randawa. Give me a Knudsen. Knudsen! Thank you. Three decades of Rockies baseball includes some big-time highs, plenty of lows, and lessons to be learned. The original voice of the Rockies, Wayne Hagen, rejoins the show this week to take a look back at some of the best times of the past 30 seasons and what can be learned for the future. Some things you may have forgotten about or may be hearing about for the first time. It's all coming up on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. So stay right here. We're back right after this. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than DenverAutographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall, Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at DenverAutographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. Manny, we've spent a lot of time talking about the 30 years of the Rockies the last couple of weeks. Um, had Bryn Smith on last week. We've been doing a lot, of, a lot of reminiscing. But a guy who's been there from the very, very beginning, very, very start, the one and only Wayne Hagen joins us this week. Um, Wayne, thank you very much for taking some time. And uh, I know it's a special time for you, too, this time of year. Yeah, it certainly is. And Mark and uh, Manny, I do appreciate you having me on. It's uh, well, you're on, you're actually 30 years ago. You're actually on every week because you're part of the intro. True. There you are know. technically on every week. Yeah, so. So, so, let me, so let's get this over with right now. You called it. Was Manny safe or out at third base? Ellis, was says he was, Ellis says he was out. Dante says he was out. He says he was safe. What do you say? And I say uh, three out of four were correct. I, I say he was. Nobody's with me. There you go. There you I got to find somebody. I got to find somebody important enough to, to override all those guys. Yeah, you need to go back. You need to get an instant, instant replay review of that and see if you can get that overturned. Oh, all man, right. That's hey, bad. Hey, Wayne, obviously they'll do a 30th, 30th anniversary this celebration this year. I haven't heard any, anything about that, how they're going to do it or what they're going to do. But in the past, it's been a pretty good time. I hope this time, I don't know if anybody from the Rockies is listening, but you and Jeff really need to be part of that. In any any way they want to do it, you guys need to be part of, of a 30th anniversary because you were a big part of the beginning of the Rockies. Well, I appreciate that, and I speak on behalf of Jeff. Uh, I'm sure that he would appreciate that as well. 
they, they were great moments, you know, to be there in the embryonic stages of a franchise, to put the initial footprints in the uh, baseball sand in Colorado, as well as the broadcast sand. Uh, it, it was pretty special. It was uh, something that we will never, ever forget. Wayne, can you tell us the process? Uh, we've talked about this before, but it's really interesting, the process you undertook to decide, because you had other job offers there in 1992, 93. Can you tell us what happened with respect to the process and who you spoke with and for advice and all of that to land at the decision that you were going to come in and be the first uh, voice of the Rockies? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because uh, not many people have asked me that. So uh, I will go back in time. It was uh, November of 1992. Uh, I was already 10 years into the major leagues as a broadcaster. And so I was at that perfect age uh, where people could say he's got some experience, but he's got a lot of years left. And uh, at that time, uh, I was in Hawaii with my wife and uh, our newborn son, Austin. And uh, we were just hanging out because I, I had to make a decision. Uh, little did I know that once I touched down into uh, Hawaii, uh, within 48 hours, I was in Anaheim meeting with the Angels, flew across country to meet with the Orioles, flew back to Denver to meet with the Rockies and KOA in particular, and uh, halfway between uh, Baltimore and Denver, uh, my agent found out that the Boston Red Sox were offering me a deal. So it was <laughs> four teams in three days, very strange. But the reality is, and, and really, uh, Mark is a guy who can understand this, I was a native of Colorado. I was born in uh, St. Anthony's Hospital, raised in Westminster. And so for many, many years, I always wanted mm -hmm. to come back to Colorado in some way. And the only way I had gotten back was to do ESPN basketball in the WAC. And that's the only reason I got to Fort Collins and Laramie and, and, and this particular area. In fact, Air Force Academy, I did one game there as well. So I always wanted to come back here. And two guys I spoke to a lot about this was Jack Buck, and uh, Vince Scully, uh, two of my heroes in the game. And they both said to me, based on their experiences, you should go to where the expansion team is because you can put, as I phrase this again, you put the initial footprints in the broadcast sand and anybody who comes after you has to follow you. No, so, I, that, I, And I got that. I got that. I have two things to say about that. First of all, did you leave your wife and child in Hawaii? Yes, they I just did. got there. They got to stay in Hawaii. That's a good thing. They got to stay in Hawaii. Five, weeks. Them. five weeks. Just like Allison, you would let Allison yeah. go for five weeks. No problem. That's true. That's true. And second of all, does this mean I'm not the first native to play for the Colorado Rockies? Technically, Wayne technically was the first not. Native, no, technically, right? Wayne but, was before you. Let's keep that under our hat because that's my only claim to fame. So I just like to keep that one down. We'll just keep that you quiet. Between you us. have my word. Now the world knows. It's, it's already out there. You know, in this society today, you can't hide anything. So That's true. So I'm the second native. All right. Well, I'll, I'll live with that. One other thing that you guys probably are not aware of. Lon Simmons, longtime broadcaster for the San Francisco 49ers, Francisco Giants and Oakland A's. I broke in with uh, Lon and Bill King when I was at the <laughs> tender age of 24 they were each somewhere in the range of 57 years of age. So did I have a lot in common with them? No. Did I learn everything I could possibly learn from them? The answer was yes. Well, Lon is the one who called my house and he said to me, have you talked to Colorado or the Marlins because of those of the expansion teams? And I said, no, I haven't spoken to the Marlins, but I'm very interested in the Rockies job. And at that point I told him I was a Colorado native and he said, well, 
who are these people involved? And it was John Antonucci at that time. <clears throat> yep. <clears throat> yep. And I said, they're from Youngstown, Ohio. And immediately he said, well, wait a second. Wait a second. He knew Eddie DeBartolo Jr. He knew Carmen Policy, who was the president of the 49ers. I had done their pre and post game shows for a few years. He said, they liked your work. They like you. They're aware of you. Why don't you send your materials to me? I'll pass them along to the 49ers, and they will in turn send it back to Youngstown, Ohio, to John Antonucci and company, and see if that will help. Wow. And then three days after the arrival of that package from the <laughs> 49ers to John Antonucci and company, I got a call from the Rockies, and that's what started the whole thing in motion. Well, you mentioned your start in the Bay Area. Um, I grew up in the Bay Area. I was just getting into baseball right as you left for Colorado, but we have something in common in terms of before, far before we met. And that was that your, uh, was it your, your engagement party that was at Murillo's in Vacaville? That is, and, well, and, was it? Well, it turned out to be the day turned I out got to be. married. Yeah. Oh, the day you got it married. Was, I was just telling them that I was, I was telling my parents who were meeting um, my fiance, Valerie and I, uh, just for uh, lunch. And I was going to tell them that I was going to take the Giants job full time because I had done so many different jobs I had like five different jobs under one umbrella. And I said, why don't we just get rid of all those jobs and I'll go full time doing the Giants. And that was the whole idea of going to have lunch that day. And the next thing I know, uh, my father, who I still to this day, uh, he passed away eight years ago. But to this day, I still think he was half kidding. He says, why don't we uh, just be your witnesses and let's drive up here. And it was three hours from that point to Reno. He says, we'll be your witnesses. Why don't you get married today? Because Obviously, if I took the Giants job, our June wedding the next year wasn't sure. going to take place. Right. Well, this is December. This is December 21st. It took me an hour to get out of that chair. And uh, my dad says, well, what, what is your problem? Why, why are you so hesitant about going today? And I said, I, you know, I, I was just meeting for lunch. I'm not ready to get married. He goes, I got one question to ask you. And this is the only question my dad ever asked me in my relationship. He said, do you want to lose her? And I said, of course not. He goes, get in the car. <laughs> and the rest, as they say, they say is, is history. And, you know, that's the that's the same restaurant that I had my high school graduation party. And so uh, we, we we did we when we when we first talked with Wayne and I years back, we 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 uh, kind of reminisced about uh, the Bay Area and, and that and that time. And that was really fun. It didn't um, happen the same day, did they? <laughs> no. No, he didn't. No, he's just uh, slightly younger than I am. Oh, a little younger than he is. Just want to make sure. All right. So you, you take this job. You got um, Jeff Kingery from K who's done minor league baseball, KOA. He comes on board. So you're kind of breaking a rookie in a, in a sense, right? I know there was ups and downs with that, but it worked for a long, 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 long time. On the TV side, you had Charlie Jones, the, the NFL veteran, the voice, right? Charlie had that voice. And Dwayne Kuyper, who had Giants connections and still does, obviously. So you had a pretty good broadcast team assembled right out, right out of the shoot. Yeah, it was interesting to watch Charlie because he definitely was the network guy. Yeah. And wanted to be treated as the network guy. We were more on the local level. Right. And uh, and Kuyper only lasted good. a year. You know, yeah. I remember we were in Los Angeles playing the Dodgers. And we arrived without Dwayne Kuyper on the team bus. And we said, what? What's wrong with Dwayne? Well, he's in the hospital. And I go, why is he in the hospital? What happened? And he had some kind of, you know, issues with his stomach. And and I think it was because he and Charlie 
uh, had a rough first year in the booth for whatever reason. And uh, that's the only year that Dwayne lasted in Colorado, even though he loved Denver and he enjoyed doing the Rockies. But he returned to San Francisco and uh, got the play-by-play job with Mike Kruko, and they've been a great team ever since. But right. the reality is there was something between those two that it just didn't work out. But, you know, quite. that's that's kind of easy to look back and see, you know, really. I mean, the following year, when Dave Campbell took over that job, uh, Charlie left to go do a commencement address at Arkansas, and I got to work with you and Jeff, remember? Uh, in oh, Cincinnati. Yes. <laughs> I'll never forget the four of us walking up. Well, we had some Channel 2 guys with us, too. We walked at that, that restaurant in Cincinnati with all the Frank Sinatra stuff all over the walls. Right. And Dave Campbell wouldn't eat anything. Do you remember that? He, would, he was drinking oh, wine. The rest right. of us, yeah. Dave Campbell would not eat. I was just thrilled to be there because I was the now I'm the raw, raw rookie and I'm just doing color, which you don't get to do in baseball. I mean, Ron Santo was the last color guy on radio, right? You got two play by play guys. In fact, when you left, for St. Louis, I went and sat down with Lee Larson at KOA and said, am I a candidate? He started laughing. He goes, no, no, no. Like, laughed right in my face. And I think the world of Lee Larson. But he laughed right in my face. He said, you don't play by play. This isn't, this is not. I said, yeah, but it works so good when Wayne and Jeff were switching off in TV. He says, we're not going to help build the TV broadcast. We're there, our competition. They weren't in Chicago, but they were here. So um, I had my little brief fling with that, and I loved every second of it. But I got, I got a glimpse of how that works. And there are always egos involved, and, and I don't. And Charlie was just, I guess, is aloof the right word? Uh, yeah, I, I would say that's true. I mean, here I am, the lead radio announcer. Yeah. He's the lead TV guy, and he rarely spoke to me. Yeah. It was almost like but we not. were a competition, yeah. and it was very odd, you know. And and I I know that uh, at one time I heard this. <laughs> I never I never saw him do this, but. As part of his contract, when we moved into Coors Field, which turned out to be his third and last year with the Rockies mm-hmm. broadcast, yep. he would get a ride from downtown Denver in a limousine and be dropped off in the front where the Branch Rickey statue that is, yeah. main entryway, and <laughs> he needed to be dropped off. And a lot of people said it was because of uh, Harry Carey. You know, Harry Carey was driven around the town of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Well. People didn't realize Harry was driven around the, the city of Chicago because he couldn't drive. He'd get a DUI. <laughs> I mean, come on, let's face it. But yep. there was there was a lot of ego involved there. And, you know, we all have to grow up and realize that uh, the weakest link is not what you want to be out of right. your partnership, whether it's two or three people. You don't want to be the weak link. Yep. You want to be the best. Link. And the other thing about Dwayne Kuyper, I think uh, the, the Giants were in danger of leaving San Francisco. Yes. Uh, in that time they were i think they yes. were on the basically on the proverbial eve of them moving to tampa peter mcgowan and company came in swooped in bought them saved that franchise and obviously great things happened from there uh, i wonder how much that played into him not coming back to colorado obviously if there was uh, friction between him and um and uh charlie. his partner that's not and charlie jones that's not gonna <clears throat> help matters but it might have been part of that might have been hey giants are still there so maybe i'll go back there Hey Wayne, yeah, what was I your favorite? There's probably something there. Wayne, what was your favorite call as a Rocky? Favorite call? Wow. Was uh, DY's home run or was it something else? It would have to be just because of the circumstances, Mark. The circumstances, you know, <clears throat> I didn't know what to expect that day. You know, the night before, I couldn't sleep. I uh, had my parents in town. At that time, we hadn't purchased a home yet. We were renting in Highlands Ranch, and it wasn't the biggest house on the block. <laughs> and I remember I probably woke some people up because I was wandering around down in the kitchen area. And I remember actually praying. And I said, let me be equal to the task if something special happens in the opener tomorrow. 
And I remember that. And uh, sure enough, I didn't know it was going to come on the first at bat on a 3-2 pitch from Kent Bottenfield, but EY uh, certainly hit that home run. And, uh, you know, I made reference to the fact that the snow off Pikes Peak was falling off on the decibel level of Mile High oh, Stadium. Yeah. Well, you know that oh, was yeah. a lot. That was an well, incredible moment. Bryn told us last week about the fact that he couldn't, he couldn't, he lost, he said he felt like he was kind of in a, how do you put it, Manny? Kind of vibrating, like it was in kind of a seismic. Yeah. Like seismic it was like, he, he, like it was use, just yeah. the, the decibel level was so high that it was just, it felt like the place was moving. Yeah. Um, and it might have felt me. that way, especially for, for you, uh, Wayne, uh, up in the booth. <clears throat> yeah. That, that, that yeah. wonderful booth you guys were in up there that, that when the wind, we opened the back door, the wind came whistling <laughs> through and all that, that was. <laughs> I just remember. Oh, I remember yes. going in there. Remember going in there to do a post game show in '94, um, and and we opened the door, and then Mark McVicker and I were sitting sitting there waiting for you, for the game to get over, obviously for you guys to go. And somebody else opened the back door, and wind blew it, and Jeff just lost it because he said, "I'm sick of this place." I mean, <laughs> I I don't know how you kept anything down on the ground there because the slightest little breeze was going to blow your papers all over the place. That was uh, that was not built for baseball. No, it was, it was it was built for a football suite, yes, and that's no what question. it served its purpose as. Not a great broadcast booth. One thing that 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 you told me before, Wayne, about the um, right before the '95 oh. season when they had some replacement players out there playing exhibition oh, games yeah. at Coors Field, the Yankees were supposed to come in and did, of course, except they weren't the Yankees. I mean, they were the replacement right. Yankees, right? Um, because the Yankees basically one of their things has always been new ballpark. Yankees are the first in town to play an exhibition series to see the place uh, play play on that field. And uh, you uh, had an interesting way of deciding what to say um, when when you had no idea who was who. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, it started in that spring training down in Tucson. I mean, they gave us a list of all these names. There would be double numbers for guys. And it got to the point where uh, my high school buddies were playing in the game. I mean, I had to make up names. I lied. I flat out <laughs> lied. It was... It was so-and-so, so-and-so. Oh, yeah, and he's from San Jose, California, and he did. I mean, I just made up the whole thing because what else could I do at that time? I had no idea. We didn't do all these bios on these guys. And and for me, it was a very unforgettable time, Major League Baseball. And not history. for a good reason. Yeah, exactly. Then again, it it, it ended, thankfully. Uh, right, yes. I think maybe the same day or right around the same day as one of those exhibition games, the, the Judge Sotomayor. It was right after, that. yeah. Right after that, uh, you know, fuck, you know, the decree that you know, go back to your old, uh, your your old uh, agreement and agreement, just yep. hash it out. But um, what was that first night like there on opening day in '95? Obviously, new ballpark. You're you're christening the place, uh, and they did it the right way, obviously. But it's also freezing. I think there were like 35 different pitchers used in the game, or whatever, or 35 different players used in the game. Just a crazy number. And then obviously Dante, uh, you know, walked it off at the end. What was that night like for you? Oh, it was very special. It was different than uh, the opening day in 93 because baseball had been established. They had already, you know, had the two attendance records that were just unbelievable. In fact, many people forget that that first year we were 17,000 shy of four and a half million people. Now, the success of a Denver baseball franchise was based on 1.7. So imagine almost 4.5 million. And we had more people come through the turnstiles before the strike in August of that year uh, than we had the previous year. So we were actually going to break that record. Now we go to a ballpark that's 50,000. 
It's much smaller, but it's our ballpark. And I remember that the fans were just, uh, they walked around for hours before the game. Once they were ushered in, uh, they had a chance to take a look around at their ballpark, and it was going to stand the test of time, which it has. I still think it's a remarkable ballpark. It's been kept up beautifully by Kevin Kahn, uh, head of stadium operations. Uh, it, it feels like you're still in a new ballpark. But that particular night, man, there were a lot of things going on. Uh, I, I remember uh, Todd Hundley. He was tough to get out for the New York Mets. I mean, he was tough. But the reality was that we got to play the Mets on our home turf to start a season as opposed to 1993 at Chase Stadium, and they shut us out with Dwight Gooden throwing an unbelievable game. Well, this time, it turned out to be the Dante Bichette show, and I will never forget that moment when he hit that home run because it was just how he hit it in such cold weather. Oh, my and, God, it was cold. Oh, yeah, geez, was I, so cold. I, I couldn't feel my feet. It was so cold. And you just yeah, don't yeah. picture that at a baseball game. The pitcher that gave up the home run to, to um, Dante Bichette, Mike Replinger, now the high school baseball coach at Pagosa Springs High School. In Southern really? Colorado, I've, I've no run through kidding. Mike a couple of times. Yep, doesn't like when I bring that. Well, up. He said well, it was cold. <laughs> I think we know it was, it was cold. It was cold, but it sure uh, warmed up the hearts of the yeah, uh, was... Rocky faithful. They'll never forget that day. I mean, if you think about it, the Rockies have been very fortunate in their in their franchise history. The first game, you have a special uh, moment right off the bat, literally, um, uh, with the EY home run, and then in 1995. You play that, you know, imagine if if it was just like uh, the, the, the 93 home opener was just like a, you know, a boring four to two loss, you know, to the Expos. And then but but it wasn't. It was amazing the way that, that it played out for the home the home team. And after they had been craving baseball for so long. And then in 95, what if you play that five hour game in, in frigid conditions and the Mets come out on top? You know, it's like it, everything really worked out for the Rockies in mm -hmm. these kind of moments that you hope for the historic moments. And I remember I, talking to EY about 95 that night. He's like, when Dante turned and pumped his fist toward us, I knew something was brewing. That's what he said. Something's brewing. And obviously that was the year they went to the postseason. Um, talk about a little bit about that team, if you can. Tell us, why was it that that team excelled as much as they did? You know, when it, I, I was I was watching a clip of a, or a game, an old game the other day uh, on ESPN, the, the the Dodgers and the Rockies in September of that year. And it showed the standings and the Rockies were on top. The Rockies in first place in September still haven't won a division title, but they were. Was that the 16-15 game, Manny? They were Two that months? close. I, I don't know. if I didn't watch the whole thing, but. Wayne that, remembers that one. That, that one. Oh, boy. They were, they were there. And so what, what made this team special in 1995? Well, they had so much power. I mean, they, they could do anything to anybody's 7 nothing lead in the third inning. It was the game was not out of uh, reach at all. Uh at, at 20th and Blake. It was different on the road, of course, but not, <laughs> not at home. And it's pre-humidor as well. So, Oh, yeah. It was pre-humidor, and uh, the players just felt this incredible confidence. And uh, Don Baylor, I, I, I've said this story before, that Dante Bichette, late in the year, I said, you know, who's the MVP of this team? Because they had so many people, Galarraga, they had Ellis Burks, they had, uh, you know, Dante himself and uh, Larry Walker and Vinny Castilla. He said number 25 is the most valuable player because he never let us doubt ourselves, even when we were down in games. And he was referring to Don Baylor. So that was a, a special chemistry that, uh, you know, today is mythic uh, at 20th yeah. and Blake, unfortunately. And I, I, I look back to those days and see, I change people's, Maybe their idea of of the the Rockies of the 1990s, 
because we center on the Blake Street bombers. You wrote an excellent book about that, captured that particular time period for the Rockies and their fans. But when I look back to the Rockies of those first years, those first nine years, nine years, they drew over three million every single year. So the story of the success of the Colorado Rockies isn't necessarily in wins and losses. It's the fans who came through the turnstiles to support this team. And as we look back, there have been over 152 million people go through the wow. turnstiles at Mile Never. High and Coors Field to watch baseball. Whether That's it's incredible. good baseball or bad, that can be argued forever. But back in those 90s, those fans made it so exciting for those players to play, and the players played better because of those fans being those, in the, the fans here are incredible. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm – not from here originally, but when I was ever since I've been here, I just the the fans are incredible. And and by the way, number twenty five ought to be hanging next to thirty three and yep. seventeen up there. Yep. Um, no I, that that needs to happen. I think uh, Don Baylor, the first manager, uh, had had such an impact on so many lives, even off the field. And, and so, Kit, uh, how did the Blake Street Bombers? Let's just let's put it on the record right here. It's in the book, but there are some there's some myth around how the Blake Street Bombers name came about. How did it start? Well, it was on, on a road trip. We were in uh, Miami at the time. It was called Joe Robbie Stadium or Pro Player Stadium or whatever it was called. That's where we were. And I remember I was sitting in the locker room because it was a locker room. It wasn't a clubhouse for the Marlins. Yeah. Uh, and I was sitting there. And Don, Don Baylor had talked the day before about the prominence of Galarraga and Walker and these guys. And uh, that started the conversation the next day that I was having between two Rockies. One was Dante Bichette. The other one was Joe Girardi. And I remember Dante looking at Joe because he looked up to him as a brother. I mean, that that guy. They're really close. They're, they're tight. Yeah, very, very close people. And uh, and I remember he looked at Joe and said, uh, you know, we, we need to come up with a nickname because Dante was all about that. I mean, he was, he just loved and breathed baseball 24 7 and i remember that uh he started you know throwing out a couple of different names i remember the boulder God, what do you call them the boulder smasher boulder dash i don't know what they call it. something to do with boulder and uh, joe Gerice, that's the university of colorado you know we're here in denver and he goes oh okay uh and he and he thought about bombers because of the bronx bombers the yankees and uh, he eventually came up with Blake Street Bombers. And when he did that, that was it. It clicked for all three of us sitting there. And I said, I'll use that tonight, Dante. If uh, one of those bombers, we acknowledged who they were. I said, if he hits a home run, somebody hits a home run from the Blake Street Bombers, I'm going to say Blake Street Bombers. And sure enough, we did that. I can't remember who hit the home run. I'd have to go back in history and look at it. But I mentioned it on the air. Well, in those days, ESPN, the television side, not the radio side, the television side of ESPN would oftentimes use the radio play-by-play mm -hmm. -play calls for their highlights. Yep. And uh, and they started hearing me call them the Blake Street Bombers. And from that point, and that was late June. So from that point on, uh, that's what they were referred to. And I know some people have tried to take credit, you know, and all that. That's fine. But the reality was I wasn't trying to claim anything over anybody else. I just liked the sound of Blake Street Bombers once he uttered those words. And Dante Bichette is the man who should be given credit for that. Well, you know who you know who claims credit for that is a good friend of both of ours, Tom Manugian. 
Have you ever talked to Tom about that? Because Tom says he came up with Blake Street Bombers. Never how, does he, how, did he, how did he get there, though? How did he get to that point? Yeah, I'm not sure because I don't remember Tom uh, doing broadcasting except well, he was, he was, he was Lou, Lou from Littleton. Littleton. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't remember ever hearing that. But he could have. He's very creative. I wouldn't yes, put anything was. past him. But I know the date <clears throat> was in June. And I don't know when he said he did it. And I know Woody Page, a great columnist. Yep. I, I respect I respect Woody Page. I think yep. he has just been a great person for Denver and obviously now in, in yeah, Colorado right. Springs and nationally. <clears throat> I think he's brilliant. And he and he's, he had claimed that he came up with Blake Street Bombers. But, you know, it doesn't matter who came up with it. The, the proof is in the pudding. It was used in June. And uh, I give it to Dante Bichette because Man, you don't have your T-shirt up. handy, do you? No, uh, not, right, not right here. I got, no, I got what? him one. I gave him one. It's a beautiful. Found... It's a beautiful shirt from back, like from the from that year, basically. Yep. Um, and uh, but so now that every time you see Blake Street Bombers, you you guys and gals out there who wear those Nike shirts that say Blake Street Bombers, now you know, now you know, and and where where it kind of what the origins are. And, you know, I I don't know. Um, you know, I I never talked to Manugian or Paige about it, but. Um, it was May, I think. Actually, uh, it was actually even late May when this uh, game happened in, in in Miami. Oh, it was late May. I'm sorry. And, and I think and I think the first appearance of that of Blake Street Bombers anywhere else was not until after that. So um, I'm going with Wayne and Dante, uh, who who, who split the credit because because uh, Wayne says it was Dante and Dante says it was Wayne. So I don't know if I'm going to give Dante credit for anything <laughs> between the years, but you know, we'll, we can argue <laughs> that. <laughs> Just... 1990, 1997. You watch Larry Walker do incredible things, uh, things that no Rocky did before nor since. He produced nearly 10 war that year. Uh, he hit better on the road than he did at home. 29 homers on the road compared to 20 at home. His OPS was up 1170-something on the road, where it was, whereas it was 1160-something at home. So it was one of those where you'd be you'd have to you'd be embarrassed not to vote for him, even with the cores bias and everything else. So, what, you know, I asked him about it you know, once uh, for the book. And I said, what are you thinking when it's July, mid July, and you're going up there and you're hitting 400. And he said, nothing, just, you know, I'll either, uh, I'll either uh, get a hit uh, or I won't. And that year, you know, I got a lot of hits. The umpires didn't, you know, make the catch and get me out. And, you know, the, the way he talks about these things and, you know, all the, all the bleeders went through and uh, you know, everything went right. So what did, what, what do you recall from that year while you were watching that and any interactions you might've had with him during that time where, he was doing things that just don't happen and haven't since then. I can think of two words to describe that year and the man himself throughout his entire career. Humble greatness. The guy never wanted to be above the rest of the 24 other players. He never wanted to be treated any differently. But his God-given skills meant he had to be. Right. <laughs> Maybe That's not right. in the clubhouse, but there was I'm always attention you. there. Attention, yeah. attention oh, yeah. between a tension between for him internally that I'm, he's got this great, great talent. And yet he doesn't want any of the attention of it. For no, I, I remember specifically listening to a radio broadcast where he said a post game show where he's somebody asked him about being a leader. And he said, we need to have 25 leaders. He really didn't want that. And, and it was misconstrued a lot of times because there was, I mean, sports illustrator wrote and called him a cancer in the clubhouse. And I said, no, you have to have a, an overwhelmingly negative presence to be a cancer. He didn't have any, I mean, he was just one of the guys and wanted to be one of the guys. And I think Wayne's right. When you're that great, you don't have that option anymore. You've given up that option when you, when you play like that. I've always felt that about Larry Walker, that he could have been an exceptional leader because he had all the skills to do mm -hmm. it. 
he could speak with authority. He could speak with humor and he would get the message across no matter which direction he, you know, utilized, whether mm-hmm. it was being solemn and, and being straightforward and cutting no uh, slack. He was good at that. But the guy was funny and he made that clubhouse more fun. And I think that the the years of their success had a lot to do with his leadership that he didn't exactly have a great, uh, you know, hope for. He didn't want that as part of his resume, but, but he accepted it with some disdain, but you know, he accepted it. When you, um, when you look back at those years, weren't Rockies didn't make the playoffs again for a long time after the 95 season, some years, years got lean. Um, what stands out? Walker obviously was there. Todd Helton had come into the situation and was, was there, but um, it wasn't, weren't, weren't great years on the field, but were there great moments? Were there things that you still remember about those teams that didn't make the playoffs? Uh, yeah, you know, they, they were always fun. I mean, I, I loved uh, a bus trip in Montreal of all places. And I was listening to uh, a rainy night in Georgia. And uh, I was listening to that on my headset. And then all of a sudden, this other music was draining me completely out of being able to hear that on my headset. And I took off my headset on the team bus. Uh, I didn't take the subway that day, like I know you did, Mark, uh, going out to uh, uh, Olympic Stadium. But Ellis Burks and Eric Young were singing a particular song. And I'm telling you, Ellis Burks hit it. It was unbelievable how beautiful he could sing. And and huh. he actually, a couple of years ago, I brought that up to him and he goes, how could you remember that? But I do. Those are the moments I remember. That was a fun team. They were now, good guys. Manny, and they we've got to get him on here to sing now. We've had Ellis on. Now we, now we, have, no, we have no choice. Yeah, we have and, no choice. And, and here's the thing about Ellis Burks is everything <laughs> that you see, you know, on TV or, or in the stands of him where he's not talking to you or where you don't get a chance to kind of hear him talk to you or, or you know, converse with you. You you get the idea, or at least I did. You know, I watched him a lot. You know, growing up, he was, he was with the Rockies, then he was the Giants, and he was just a solid, put your head down, get the job done guy. And and he didn't talk. You you never really. He seemed to be kind of like a shy guy, but he absolutely he's a cut up man. It's he's incredible. All right, it's and, settled. Uh, yeah, gonna and so we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna we're we'll get him Please. on here. We'll let, we'll let him pick the song, but he has to sing. He has yes, to, he owes sure. you, you know what? You guys brought up a great point about uh, Walker. But you can go to the Blake Street Bombers. You just said that about Ellis. Mm-hmm. He was humble. He yeah. was humble yeah. in his greatness. Vinny Castilla, quiet, much. but deadly with that bat and deadly with the glove and his yep. arm. Dante Bichette was incredible as a clutch yeah, hitter. Yeah, but he's not but, humble. You know, Dante's not humble. See, not I think I, I find him, him humble. You're, you're talking no, but, as a former teammate. I know you're <laughs> kidding. Right. But look at the big cat. Andres Galarraga was Most, as silent as anybody yes, could right. be. But when he walked in that clubhouse and he beamed with that smile, yep. the whole room lightened up. That's right. And that's why that's exactly. the answer to your question for me. Those tough years on the field, off the field, those guys made it very, very kind and nice and gentle for me. I loved being on those road trips. I, I just, <clears throat> I love those players. Speaking what of road you, trips, speaking of road trips you, just a minute, man, you, you, when I was doing those games with you and Jeff, when Charlie Jones was gone doing football or whatever, I don't remember what city we were in, but you and I were the only ones on the bus. And Bob Gebhardt came on the bus and looked at you and said, how's the kid doing? And your answer, I'll never forget your answer. You said, he's doing okay. We just got to give him to smoke a few more cigarettes like you do and get him his voice to drop down there like yours. <laughs> and Geb just looked at you like you were crazy. And I thought, 
was hilarious. I didn't know what to think. I just kind of slunk down my chair. Like, I'm not getting in the middle of this. But you just fired <laughs> right, right back at Gib, and I thought, that's classic. Now, But I don't smoke, so that's not going to happen. Well, um, all these years later, I'm on a Caribbean cruise with the St. Louis Cardinals. Geb is working for the Cardinals. I'm doing their broadcast. And I go out, speaking of smoking a cigar, uh, we went out had a cigar on the deck while our wives were inside, Nancy and uh, Valerie, we were talking, and we were going to go have dinner on this ship. And uh, we went out, and Geb and I light up, and we're talking, and I said, hey, Geb, you know, I, I just got to say, what you did with that 25-man roster in 1993 for $8 million is unbelievable. He looks up at me. He goes, wait a second. That was the 40-man roster. <laughs> he corrected me. Just like he always would. He corrected me. And sure enough, he was absolutely right. For $8 million, we had 40 players in that Rockies organization in 1993. And I still laugh to this day because he and I stay in touch. We're going to have lunch uh, in the next couple of weeks. And uh, I will never forget how. No, no. <clears throat> Wait, that was, was, the, was great. Uh, that was the 40-man rock. <laughs> well, going from, uh, from the first GM to the current Rockies now, um, what is it that's been lost? Um, in terms of the time that you're talking about and now, and what do they need to do to kind of dig themselves out of the hole that they're in um, that they really dug a lot deeper over the last few years and get back to something resembling what they, what they kind of were in the nineties. Well, I hate to tell you this, but I don't have a lot of answers. I really don't. I mean, they've experimented with so many different things uh, from afar I can I can say one thing that I truly believe they need is an organization and has nothing to do with between the lines, has nothing to do with the 25 people on that field. They need to revisit their history and those who made their history and cling on to that like fans do, like we yeah. have today discussing these various players. They need to retire Don Baylor's uniform number 25. That's Absolutely. a great start. Yep. Uh, next year, they will celebrate Todd Helton going to the Hall of Fame. But Todd Helton may not have gone into the Hall of Fame that fast, in my opinion, had it not been the emergence of Larry Walker, who had to wait 10 years to get yep. in. And he was a far better player than Todd Helton. Not that we compare a first baseman to an outfielder, but let, let's face it. Larry Walker was the real deal, a 5 tool player with extra credit. I've always said that. Todd Helton made himself into a terrific first baseman, three-time gold glover, won a batting title. Could have won more Walker. than three 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 gold gloves. Yeah, he won three gold gloves. But Could've Walker, yeah, absolutely. But he was at a time with Mark Grace and guys like that. Yeah. But I, I, I just – I, I got to say that I would love the Rockies to, to go ahead and bring the past back absolutely. while we're all still alive so we can yeah. enjoy it. And, uh, you know, if that means – uh, bringing all of those players back for the celebration this year. Do it, no matter what expense it is. Show that you care about your past, not necessarily tomorrow. Well, let's really hope that when it comes, and I, I'm not giving up on this, when it happens, you and Jeff need to be part of that. Um, and let's, you know, if the Giants are in town, Kype can be part of that. But we need, you're right, we need to do that. Hopefully they'll be announcing that pretty soon. We'll, we'll find out. But Wayne, you've been a, a big part of Rocky's history, Rocky's lore. And we hope that uh, that can can be honored, too. We got to go. We're running out of time. But uh, we really appreciate you joining us. We'll have you back on again soon. Maybe we'll have you and Jeff on together. You can do some play-by-play on here. But we are going to have yeah. Ellis on to sing, too. That's got to happen. Sure. Thanks, Wayne. Please appreciate do. It. All right, Thank Wayne. Thanks. Guys. Take care. We'll talk to you again soon. There he goes. Wayne Hagen, the original voice of the Colorado Rockies. Man, you got a closer? Yep, coming up.
All right, Manny, I'll close it out. Stay with us. It's Park Adjusted, Rockies podcast. We're back right after this. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than denverautographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall, Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at denverautographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. Today's edition of The Closer is dedicated to the great Don Baylor, the first manager in Rockies history and someone whose impact on the franchise, both on and off the field, is immeasurable. From Dante Bichette to Todd Helton, from Larry Walker to Carlos Gonzalez, and so many others in and around the organization, Baylor had an enormously positive influence on shaping the Rockies from their earliest years. Baylor is the biggest reason why Andre Scalaraga went from thinking his career was over, literally crying underneath the stands at Bush Stadium when Baylor was the Cardinals hitting coach in 1992, to a batting champ the very next year with the Rockies and one of the most feared sluggers of the 1990s. Baylor led a team that was only two years old to the postseason in 1995 when the Rockies had a real chance to knock off the eventual world champion, Atlanta Braves. For his efforts, he was named the National League Manager of the Year. Baylor guided the fledgling ball club for its first six years, presiding over the Blake Street Bombers era and over a period when his team played nearly 500 baseball at 440 and 469, a remarkable accomplishment for a brand new franchise playing in the altitude of Denver an environment unlike any other in the major leagues. All of this came on top of a magnificent major league career as a player. Baylor hit 338 home runs and stole 285 bases at 6'1 and about 200 pounds no less. Over a 19-year MLB career during which he won an MVP award in 1979 with the Angels and was a three-time Silver Slugger Award winner. It's long past time that Don Baylor's number 25 is hung next to the retired numbers of Jackie Robinson, Todd Helton, and Larry Walker at Coors Field. Here's hoping that happens very soon. Manny locks it down again, and that means another W for the park-adjusted Rockies podcast. Our thanks again to the OG, the very first voice of the Rockies, Wayne Hagen, for sharing some great memories from the Rockies' past, with a nod toward a hopeful future. And as always, thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you later. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.